What up everyone, Pat Mayo here, audio only today, even on the YouTube channel, it's me and Davis, another Corona cast coming at you, so 25% of the audience will really hate this show, but other people tend to really like it, so we continue to do it, all it is is me and Davis just kind of catching up as pals and seeing what's going on where he's at, what's going on where I am, we got some life news, we got... We talked about like the Suez Canal, high-speed rail, NFTs, all the normal stuff uh, that just randomly we speculate about but don't actually know anything about then have to Wikipedia as we go through. It's one of those type of shows. So please smash the like button to the episode, interact with it in some way, and please join the newsletter for Mayo Media Network. A ton of master stuff coming out. It was nice to get a palate cleanser before doing eight straight days of master's content, which is coming up on the docket on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. If you're listening to this on the audio podcast... Uh, on the Pat Mayo experience. Could you please leave a rating and review? If you leave your Twitter handle or email address, you're in draw for a hundred bucks. So, you know, that's some incentive to do it. If you could do it on Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, that would be amazing. Uh, We're trying to gun for number one spot in fantasy sports with all of the masters content, which I assume is going to be very popular because it is every single year. And it's our one shot to get to number one on that list. And if we can do it, that would mean a whole lot to me. And you know, the support that everyone has shown throughout the years, especially lately with Mayo Media Network breaking off into its own thing, is very much appreciated. So I, I thank everyone. I feel like an asshole constantly trying to pimp people to do this and pimp people to do that. But the more you can do really helps us out uh, as you know a standalone media company that's really trying to grow and trying to provide more content for everyone. So the newsletter, smashing the like, rating and reviewing, all that stuff, subscribing to the other shows. There's a new baseball show out. Big John fucking killed it for opening day, but that's going to be going every single day as well. So show support for that stuff, and we can continue to do giveaways. We get bigger. We can do even more giveaways, maybe produce some more content. And that would be awesome. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, no time codes on this one because it is a free-flowing discussion between two morons who think they're smart. Up next, Davis Maddock. So you lost your weight loss bet? I lost my weight loss bet. It's I too, did lose it. That That's too bad. You didn't have enough gumption to get up at 5 a.m., I see. Well, what happened was I thought I just had, I thought I had it in the bag. I mean, losing, I lost, I the most I got up to was I lost 32 pounds and then I, I kind of just tailed off like the last two weeks or so. I was still working out, but I just kind of loosened up my diet a little bit. And so I gained like two or three pounds back. And that ended up being the difference in the end, which sucks. But also, on the other hand, uh, I, the, the amount of money I lost in the bet, I would have paid to have that, you know, uh, that weight liposuctioned off of me. So I'm, I'm counting it as a, as a, as a, a mental win. Yeah. I think that anyone would sign up for that. I mean, 500 bucks is pretty steep, but 500 bucks to lose 50 pounds or 30 pounds. I think people would sign up for that pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. And I developed a bunch of healthy habits and I cooked a lot, right? Um, I was, I was cooking dinner pretty much every day with, uh, like zero carb dinners so like got a bunch of recipes was making a bunch of food that i liked and um dude i just like feel so much better like when you were just not loaded down and just got in a lot like just developed a bunch of healthy habits and like i'm you know i'm sleeping better 
I'm getting in great exercise. Like there's a market difference in my mood. Like it, it, it was a, a net positive for sure. I'm shocked the final three days of this bet you didn't just try to consume zero carbs, zero water, and essentially act like a UFC fighter. Yeah, I, I mean, I've cl- clearly with a little bit of hindsight, I've, like that's what I should have done, right? Like I should have just, I should have just went in full uh, wrestling weight cut mode, um, and and you know, I, I, I wish that I would have done that. I didn't do that, and as a result, uh, I lost, I lost the bet. But yeah, I think if I. I, I want, honestly, I don't know how much more weight I had to lose in a short time frame. Like I still want to lose more weight and there's plenty to come off of me, but in, I had already lost all the easy weight, right? I'd already lost all of the, the, the fat from places you're not supposed to have fat. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you're, when your fingers are looking a little fat, when your neck is looking a little fat, that's the, that, that weight comes right off. So you don't have sausage things anymore? No, I just have, um, honestly, I just have gut fat left. Like even like my, my chest, my arms, my back is all back to kind of what it looked like when I was in college, but I, I still have, uh, you know, uh, post postmates gut basically. Yeah. I, I fell into a big trap of my wife and I just being stuck at home. Cause obviously the conditions here are a bit more strict than I believe where you're at. So a lot of, a lot Correct. of Uber Eats, a lot of like DoorDash, that kind of thing, which is something we never did. We did get good food, like the, or I guess Blue Menu would be one of the ones in the States where they just send, yeah. send you meals to your house. That's not so bad, but it's not like those are locale meals. Like they're pretty, like here, throw this sauce on it, throw this on it, throw that on it. It's like, you know, they're, they're 900 calories per serving. So, you know, it's, it's not a healthy dieting choice by any means, but it is much better than eating out all the time. Well, it's, it's, and it's also nutritious food. Like when you're, when you're getting those, those home kit meals, the, also the portions are probably pretty big, but like that's nutritious food. That would be, if you were moving all day, your body would efficiently burn that energy anyways, but none of us are moving all day. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting at our desks. That's been the biggest problem for me. I remember when I lived with Cody, when I first moved back to Toronto, we were at fantasy we got a an apartment. Uh, we we were roommates, and we lived about a mile away from the office. So we would walk to work every single day. So you'd walk there, and you'd walk back. Sometimes you'd come home and eat lunch. So you're getting in like two miles walking or four miles walking every single day. And then I moved in with my now wife across town. I took like the the streetcar. I took an Uber every single day because it was just so far away to walk. It would have taken me like an hour to walk to work. You know, sometimes in the middle of the summer, you could get away with it, but you'd be real sweaty when you showed up, which is never great when you're about to be on camera. But just the transition of moving places and not getting those two miles in every day, it seems like absolutely nothing because it's, you know, completely, it's not strenuous whatsoever. It's not like you're running to work, but I noticed that I gained like 15 pounds right away, just not getting those two miles in. So, and now during like lockdown and quarantine, just being home so much, I'm not moving at all. The weather has finally turned the past few weeks here. So I'm back out to running twice a week, once a week, twice a week. Cause I remember I told you I tore my calf muscle, uh, like late in the year. So I had to get that rehabbed 
and I hadn't done any cardio, like any running for like four months because the gyms have been closed. So I haven't been able to go to a treadmill. And by the time that it had healed, it, it was ice on the sidewalks, which seemed like not a great idea to go out and run in. But my cardio has been shot. Like I'm building myself back up. You forget how quickly you lose. Like, what were you doing as a part? Like the dieting is one thing. And if people don't know, uh, changing your diet and not consuming carbs and creating a calorie deficit is how you lose weight. But if you're doing a proper exercise along with it, you can really make that go a long way. Like, are you doing Peloton? Uh, well, I, I didn't buy a Peloton. I bought a bike. Um, just like, uh, I, I literally think it was like the Amazon basics brand. I, I don't even know. I bought it off. I bought it off Amazon for like 300 bucks. So I have a, I have a bike down in my basement. I have, um, yeah, 10, 15 and 20 pound free weights. I have some kettlebells and I have, uh, like a medicine ball and I would do, you know, squats, pushups, sit-ups and, uh, the, the Nike training app actually I like that. has a yeah bunch of free workouts that you can do. You don't have to pay for anything. And it's just like, do this for 30 seconds, do this for 30 seconds, rest for 10 seconds, do this for 30 seconds, which is pretty cool. Um, nice that it's free. Honestly, a lot of what I did was if I lifted on a day, then I would go on a walk for my cardio. If I was too sore, not feeling or or whatever, I would just, uh, ride on my bike until my Apple watch said that I burned 600 calories jesus you know six, if i was 600 calories what are you doing like two hours a day on the bike well no it would be most of the time it would be about an hour sometimes if i was if i was really uh if i was really dragging ass it would be like an hour and a half um if i just if i was going slower i would read on the bike also i would just i have um uh, a, a a tablet reader the the amazon paper white and i would just go i would just go downstairs and read on the bike and and just you know be down there for an hour hour and a half um i I would watch sports on the bike too like if there was a good uh like midweek soccer game i would go take the ipad down there just watch the whole game you know 90 minutes sit down there for two hours get a thousand calories burned um but mostly mostly i just got in a minimum of 60 minutes of exercise every single day regardless whether it be whether it be walking, whether it be biking, whether it be uh, lifting weights, just 60 minutes every day, no excuses. So for me, I've basically just been lifting this entire time because that's all I really yeah. have access to. So it's really try like, I don't want to get, I mean, I want to get like muscular, obviously, uh, and like try to increase my gains in that sort of way. But when you're not doing any cardio, it really comes down to your diet to make sure that you don't get like real bloaty and big. Like you'll gain muscle, but you'll also gain fat at the same time. And I was like, well, I only have so many shirts. It's hard to buy new shirts. And, you know, I have these like sport coats that I have to wear on the show. And if all of a sudden like I can't fit into them anymore, that's really problematic for me. <laughs> So I've actually been trying, I have this one green blazer that I try to wear for the masters every single year. And I think I might be too big for it now. Uh, I, I just can't fit into it because they only had one size and I bought it off Amazon. So it's not like it was like fit properly. You'd be shocked at how hard it right. is to find like the masters green blazer. So I found one a few years ago and it's, it's tiny. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can fit into it for the upcoming masters content, which I'm not looking forward to. I am looking forward to the content, not looking forward to fitting in that jacket. Yeah, that uh, that's actually one of the the funniest things for me has been. I was basically wearing the same ten shirts and the same 
you know, five pairs of shorts and five pairs of sweatpants. And now all the clothes that I have fit me again, which uh, is nice because to you, you don't you don't really want to have to buy fat clothes. Right. That, that's really what you're trying to avoid is you don't you don't want to buy the XL sweatpants, the the extra, you know, the, the large T-shirts. You, you'd really like to be able to just stay in one consistent wardrobe. And I was my stuff was definitely fitting tight back in November and December. So it's been it's been nice to be able to go back and wear all the shit that I was wearing when I was in college. Do you think that you learned any lessons for next football season because of this? So you don't just balloon up. Cause I, it happened to me the first two years when I covered football full time, like I put everything to the side. I was so invested into putting out content and doing research that I just felt too tired to do anything. And I really let, you know, you're eating at like three o'clock in the morning because you're up at that time. You're not exercising. You're not sleeping well that eventually I figured it out over time. Like I need to allocate like half, an hour a day to go for an elliptical something just to kind of and it actually helps out the content too because you feel better you have a bit more energy and then like you don't like it's not so much like the weight that you put on it's like the lack of energy that comes with putting on the weight that I found really troubling to me well yeah and you are you're just going to be way less efficient if you're if you feel like shit you're you're you are you're going to sleep worse you're going to you're going to be groggy when you wake up. You are you're you're going to not be focused when you're working because you're just like not centered. You just are not in a good state of mind. So I I think what I did learn was I got to I just got to get 30 minutes a day. Doesn't matter how busy I am, doesn't matter how many podcast recordings, doesn't matter if I got 5 hours of sleep or whatever. You just got to log off you got to you got to not stare at a screen or put a podcast in or whatever not not be answering emails not be in slack not be in discord and just get your heart rate up above you know 120 130 for half an hour i mean preferably 60 minutes but 30 minutes if you really can't spare that extra amount of time and i think that is uh is a huge reward but because uh, con- concurrently during the same bet i was also in um a reading and a meditation bet with Peter Overzet. So it was, uh, it was kind of habit stacking a little bit. Did you lose that one too? No, that was a draw. We both missed one day. I missed one day of meditation and Peter missed one day of reading. Um, so that was that. And it ended on the same day and we both, we both drew. Well, I saw like Hodge was doing one. Uh, cause you, kept, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to it because a, Posting like your workout stuff on like social media is super fucking lame. But at the same time, if I was doing one of these bets, I would do it too to keep myself accountable because I would just be doing it for myself at that point. So I kind of get where he's at. But like I was, I mean, I mean, brag on his part potentially, but he's like crushing it, waking up at like 5 a.m. every morning, just getting at it. I, I've never been able to do that. Like I'm not someone who can wake up at 6 a.m. and go work out. I am, I'm an afternoon workout guy. <laughs> Uh, no, I will. I, I, one time I went, my girlfriend is a morning person. And one time back when we lived in Kansas city, pre COVID, I woke up and went to the gym with her at 4am, maybe, maybe a little bit later, maybe it was 430. And it was the worst, most miserable workout experience of my life. I was totally zombified the whole time. And I just felt tired and out of it for the rest of the day. Cause, cause for me, working out and I bet you're like this too it's a wind down thing like when I'm done I want to be tired I want to be you know ready to eat 
ready to read or play video games or watch a movie and hang out for the rest of the night. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to do it and then go about my day. I want to be, I want to be exhausted at the end of it. Working out in the morning sucks. Well, I don't exactly have that same sort of mentality. Like I like to work out probably between like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. throughout the day. Like that would be my optimal time somewhere in that window to go do it. So I work in the morning and get everything done. Like I'll take care of the kids in the morning when I'm up, get them off to school, get them fed, everything like that. And then I'll go work, either film a show, do some writing, whatever it is. Then I go to the gym and I'm with you that I like to be exhausted by the time I leave the gym, but I don't find that makes me tired for the rest of the day. If anything, I feel like I get energy afterwards. Then I go back to work and I I have like another good five hours of like, all right, let's go right now. And I think that we benefit a lot because of the jobs that we have, that we have a flexible enough schedule where you can really whatever you feel like is your optimal time to go do something, whether it be going to the gym, whether it be having lunch with people, going to the bank, running errands, whatever it might be, that we do have a bit more flexibility than a lot of people do in their job. Yeah, I mean, I have certain things every week that I have to be there for. Like, I got to be at my I gotta be at my computer at X, Y, and Z time. Oh, you but that me- huge chunk... You have me... Gross. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's that's, gross, but that, like... That's a, that's a part of the Pat Mayo... Pat Mayo in the Mayo Mayo Media Network way is I kind of expect everyone to be available 24-7, never have meetings, and I ever really call upon people. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that is, which is, which is GTO for some people. Um, and, and that is how a huge chunk of my life has been, where it's been, you don't have, you don't have to be here at this time, but it things have to be done by this date or by this time of day, which leaves a lot of flexibility. I mean, I still have more flexibility than like, you know, 98% of working people in life, which is, which is great because it does, it allows, it allows a little bit of, I mean, it allows a lot of, of day-to-day flexibility and like, oh, I, I can do this from uh, 10 to 11, or I can do this from one to two or whatever, if I want, as long as I come back and get this thing done or that thing done. That is the biggest thing that you hit on was it has to be done by X. As long as it's done by X, I really don't care when you do it. Just make sure that it's done. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, which is uh, it's a nice way to work, right? That is, uh, generally, if you give people more responsibility, um, they will, like, if you leave people to their own devices and they know what their responsibilities are, generally, they'll be happier. And the big thing, too, is especially with, like, the contractors I have or some of the employees like this is all told to them right away it's like i don't care if you take a day off or have to miss a day it's just when you know tell me and then i can make i can figure it out from there but don't be the person who's like i mean shit always ends up happening eventually like there's emergencies and that's fine like that that's a part of life that's going to happen but if you're taking you, know, you want to go away for a week and i don't care if you go away for a weekend like you don't you know just tell me so i can find someone to fill in for you that, that's all i need to know like it's fine uh, and the quicker you can have that information, the easier it is for me to adjust and find people. And like, I'm straight up with everyone and tell them all this r- before they come on. And I ask them to do things and before they get on payroll. And, you know, there's some people that you know, they're like, well, I need to be, you know, I need to work 10 till six every single day. I can't be available after six. I was like, you know, that, that's awesome for you. Uh, that's not going to work out for me. So that, that's not going to, you know, you're not a great fit for us. So I, as long as you're upfront with people about this stuff, and some people like working at one o'clock in the morning, other people like working at six o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the afternoon, as long as you can find the right groove for that, 
uh, and you're straight up with people right off the hop, I think that that works out fine and people are happier at their jobs. At least I think they are. Yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, if people are left to their own devices and allowed to make their own decisions, they will be happier. People, people would rather decide things on their own, set their own schedule, have a little bit of freedom as opposed to being conscribed, which is, you know, a big reason why. Um, I mean, I just, I do not see Americans and I assume Canadians as well, really like it be wanting to hop back into the office after they just spent uh, a year at home doing the exact same job at home. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't think it's, I think it's going to be more split than you think. I think people do miss the office. There's a camaraderie at the office and especially for, I'll say, and I don't want to completely generalize, but over 45 type workers that this is all you've ever really known is going into the office that maybe you haven't developed a good rhythm at home. Maybe you're not self-motivated. Maybe you need someone to kind of keep on your ass to make sure that you're doing things. One of the biggest things that I wanted to institute, and I tried to have this way at Fantasy, it just didn't work out because I, I wasn't completely in charge of everyone, but we have a thing here, whether it's me, whether it's Paul, whether it's some of the producers or some of the hosts, like you get paid per job. Uh, it's not an hourly rate that you're going to end up doing. So if it takes you three hours, to if it takes you 30 minutes to do something, it's paid the same. Just as long as it's done right, I don't care how much time you spend on it. Just get it done. And that seems to be a really good motivator for people, I find. Like you're getting paid per job. Yeah. Well, just not saying like, cause we used to have, Oh, you need to be here from nine. It wasn't nine to five. It was 10 to six every single day. And even if you were done all your work at three, you had to stay till six. So like, that's really stupid. And people are going to start resenting this and it's going to take them longer to do everything because they want to make it look like they're actually doing something. I feel like people from working from home, at least over the past year or so, businesses have understood that, yay, yeah, not everyone needs to work eight hours a day. Sometimes you need to work 12 hours a day. Other days you need to work three hours. It really depends on the amount of work. Like why bog people down and make people stay in a place when there's actually nothing to do? Well, right. And that, so that's what I'm saying is I'm saying that maybe, maybe in the case you're saying, and, and there are people, right. Like also, like you're saying, there were people who would rather come in, right. There were people, there are people who would rather come into the office. They feel they'll be more efficient. They feel I, they'll get I, more done people, if they're in the office. I'm one of those people, by the way, I like coming into the office and do work. Now I don't work in like corporate America. I work in a little dingy studio with one other person. And it's just sort of, if I have to write, there's no distractions here. When I'm at home, there are distractions. Like my wife is home. We have two little kids at home. Oh, my, my youngest son took his first steps last night. Wow. Yeah. Big day. Big days. Ten big months day. ten months old. He's just walking around now. It's it's unsafe for him. So we need to reset everything up. <laughs> is that is that terrifying for you when the kid when the kid starts taking first steps? The step is actually pretty good. He started to climb on everything, was able to climb up on the couch and get over like some of the we would just put like an, an ottoman in front of something it's like i oh, can't climb over it he's good to go now we actually have to put up like real fences but it's a problem because our other son who's like just over two he can kind of navigate around he's fine he's not falling off stuff but if we put up a gate the bigger one can't get out of where he's allowed to go out but if we put up something smaller the little baby will now get over it so it's a striking balance uh, i'm actually moving I, I finally if people are longtime listeners of the corona cast They've heard yeah. me bitching about moving for like two years. I finally bought a house and I'm moving in a month. So you are, you're going, you're going to the, uh, the Canadian boonies, right? 
Essentially so. Yeah, leaving the big city uh, where there's constant lockdowns and no one can do anything. We're, we actually re-entered lockdown today as the third wave picks itself back up and the ICU is just jammed in Toronto. Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah, you and I were talking. We're never going to get the vaccine. We're yeah. going to be like the last. I, I actually. So I've made a bunch of different appointments and that I've like three different times. And it just for whatever I not eligible, what full up, you know, whatever, whatever. I have not been able to get it. I, I feel hopeful. I think I am. I have an appointment on Tuesday and I feel hopeful about um, being able to go and get it. But, you know, we'll see. I'm quite envious of the vaccine rollout that America has had, especially versus what we've experienced up here. Like, I'm not even, I can't even make an appointment to go do anything. Like, just people my age are not eligible. It's been so slow, so disorganized, and there's enough vaccines to get all these people done. It's just, I, I don't know what, no one seems to know what the problem is. Like, my grandma just got one. She's 84. Like she's got one last week. Like they've had vaccines available for like a month and a half now. And she just got hers. Uh, the rollout up here has been horrendous, especially in Toronto in the province of Ontario. So I'm actually going to move when I get back to Nova Scotia. I'll probably end up with a vaccine quicker than if I had stayed here where there, where there are far more vaccines. But I would say that I wouldn't even be eligible for one based on my age and my health status, probably until... August, September. And if I move back to Nova Scotia, even though I'd be a new resident, they're trying to get everyone done in the province as quickly as possible, that I probably get one in like mid-May, mid-June, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so the, how it's working in the States is it's kind of done on like, um, uh, what I, there, there's a very, like a, a trust basis. Like if you show up to the, to the appointment, you're assumed to be one of the people that are eligible. Now, Pat, one of the things that makes you eligible in the United States is if you were a smoker in the past for, nice. you know, over a, a certain period of time. So that is what I put. That's what I've been putting on all my appointments. Like it says like, you know, do you fit any of these conditions like immunocompromised COPD or whatever? And I just put other that would make me in, uh, the, we're in, we're in tier two now here in Missouri. And, and if they ask, I'm going to be like, yeah, I, I smoked. So therefore I'm eligible. I mean, obviously I'm pretty far down the list, but I also live in a state where a bunch of people don't even want the vaccine. I live, I live in, I live in one of the dumbest States in the union. So, so many of the people here don't even want the vaccine. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about Magic Spoon, because you know that I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food somewhat successfully. Not all the way successfully, by the way. But I basically realized I couldn't eat anything anymore. So protein shakes, the powders, that's not really going to get me the protein I like because I hate it so much before and after the workouts. So I just made the switch to Magic Spoon because it has all the amazing flavors that I love, but without any of the bad stuff. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving, too. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. We've got exciting news. Magic Spoon will be releasing two new amazing flavors this month, for a limited time only, we're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle. And if that isn't the most comforting, indulgent combination, I don't know what it is. This is the ultimate treat yourself combo. So make sure you get some while well, you can because it's only on for a limited time. Or you can just build your own box. Available flavors to build 
your very own custom bundle or coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. If you're listening from Canada, Magic Spoon now ships there as well. Great news for me. Uh, I highly suggest you get fruity, by the way, because it rules and it's the best. You should definitely get fruity. Don't even worry about the, the box to build on your own. Just get a whole bunch of fruity Magic Spoon. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab a new limited edition cookies and cream, maple waffle, or a custom bundle of cereal to try out today. And be sure to use our code, promo code MAYO, at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use code MAYO at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, I can back them on that, because it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. I've heard a lot, like my uncle lives in California. He got his already. He's like 44 years old. And the way that he got his is his friend was at like the CVS and texted him like, hey, they have one vaccine left. If you want it, get down here. Yeah. Like, I would be all for that here. Free for all. Let's go. I'll get there. I'll go get my vaccine. I just, I just want to get it. So I can get this. Just, I'm just everyone's so fucking sick of this. And I am as well. That it's it's not to the breaking point where like I saw when I was driving home yesterday. There was a quote unquote protest on the corner uh, near like the main intersection near my place. And it was why are all the anti-vax protests Anti-vax needs to rebrand itself, I think, if they want to be taken more seriously by a larger population, that these people would be like, oh, my God, you, you take a look at them and like, I am not listening to anything that these people say. They look insane. And maybe that's like the complete draw of it. But I don't know, go hire some like male models or like some very attractive people who are youthful to go hold your like crazy nut bar signs on the side of the road, like pointing at people instead of like having the most lunatic looking people while I'm stopped at a stoplight and look over and be like, who the hell are these people? Are they like going to rob my car? I don't know what's going on here. Like they just look crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, just like because anyone who is of sound mind and body is not going to do one of those things. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to to hire attractive looking people to come and and say and do crazy shit, right? Because there there's no science behind being anti-vax, right? There, there there's there's nothing to indicate. I mean, now a legitimate claim that I think, like, well, I don't think that you're an idiot if you have the opinion of these are really new vaccines. We don't know the long term effects. Like my my statement to that would be. The vaccine that everyone is taking right now, the Moderna, was developed on January 6th of last year, and they put it through as many clinical trials as possible. There have not been any, um, you know, no no one has reported any super ill effects from the Moderna. I think that the there's one that they're using in the European Union that 37 people have reported they got blood clots from, and so some of the European Union st- countries stop using it but but by and large there's just no scientific argument whatsoever that people should not take vaccines yeah it's the astrazeneca vaccine astrazeneca that's yeah, it whatever yeah whatever it is we banned it up here too or at least we had like a callback on it where i think it was for people under it was one of the ones where it was for 
think it was under 55 was the number. Uh, Canada actually suspended the use of it uh, as of like last week sometime because of the rare blood clots that can come up. Uh, this, I mean, it's both, I mean, it's a PR nightmare and sheds a very poor light on vaccines overall for the coronavirus. If you do have this one that even if it is in a very rare case or they don't know exactly why it would be linked, like it probably is best to get it off. I, although I'd probably still go take that one to be perfectly honest with you. hundred percent. If, if someone came arm. to my door, yeah, someone came to my door right now and said there's a, a 0.1% chance you get a blood clot and a 99% chance that this is a, a good vaccine against uh, the coronavirus. Stick it in my arm. Stick two of them in my arm. I, I want it. I saw Canada made Fox News last night. Uh, Tucker Carlson was talking about how Canada has internment camps. It's a pretty loose, loose version of the, the term internment camps. Is that true? I, I like what what is he even referring to? Uh, when you return from out of country in Canada, there are certain like the well-known regulations like the government doesn't want anyone to travel internationally because they don't want anyone to bring back any of these like various strains that I mean that's been the problem in Toronto right now is that this mutation of the virus is like it's been more impactful on people as the new studies have shown, like, you know, ICU per you know COVID case is up like 60% and hospitalizations are up like 120% with people who have contracted this new version of coronavirus. And the only way that people are getting it is because people are coming from outside of Canada and bringing it in. Like that's the main reason, like the Eastern part of Canada has had its bubble this entire time. It's had a two week quarantine period every time you go there. And They've been open the entire time because they don't have any cases because people people aren't leaving and then people aren't bringing it in. If you do go in, like when I move, I have to quarantine for two weeks. No questions asked. It sucks. I don't want to do it, but them's the rules. And you know what the rules are going in. So if you travel internationally in Canada and come back, you need a negative test to get on the flight to come back. And then at your own expense, you have to be put into a state-run facility, uh, as it's been called. It's a hotel near the airport because no one is using hotels. They've done a deal with these uh, hotels near the airport. It has to be within like 10 kilometers of the airport uh, that you have to go stay in. You have to pass two negative tests and then you can go home uh, but you have to go there and it's at your own expense but this is all known before you leave so if you leave this is what you end up coming back to uh, but you know this is uh, lost on some people I believe it's the same rules like New Zealand has and Australia has and to be perfectly honest with you there are certain people who are like the government can't tell me to do this and they just walk out of the airport and no one arrests them <laughs> it's it's sort of like an honor system thing it's really bizarre <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's Canada, right? Who, right? It's Canada. No one's going to arrest you. No one's shooting you coming out of the airport. These are not these are not American police. They're not just going to shoot you and then uh, ask questions later. I mean, the dude, the the right the right wing American party is having a tough time right now, and they're going to get their just desserts in 2022 because the Democrats are fucking everything up and and just making a total mess. But they are the the Republican Party in the American states right now is doing the uh, the equivalent of tweeting through it. So I, I just they're they're lashing out at whatever they can get. Speaking of tweeting through it, do you miss Trump on Twitter at all? Because I kind of do. No, I I don't. You 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 get to. Uh, observe it from the outside but we gotta we have to live it every day and joe biden sucks ass he's not he's doing very little of what he said he was gonna do uh the filibuster is a joke 
the Senate Democrats are total losers and cowards with no spines. But it is it is very nice to realize that there is at least a human being uh, making the decisions uh, as it pertains to the country and not just someone who like like I just dude, I never felt comfortable with Trump having the nuclear football, you know? Yeah, but Trump, although he's a crazy person throughout the entire course of his presidency, like he had been pretty much like the least hawkish president ever. No, I mean, Biden has already been Biden has already been more of a hawk than Trump was right. Biden, Biden, one month into his uh, administration has already, you know, bombed Syria. But it, it, it and honestly, like, I just feel the 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 anger and the hatred levels in America, I feel has gone down a little bit. And maybe that's my my uh, sheltered lib corner. But it just it just feels it, everything feels a little bit lighter uh, without without old Don around. I don't I do not miss his tweets at all. I, I just feel like there there's certain things that if we bring him back, like there are certain events that we can have him tweet about, like. I, this isn't an original opinion. I saw someone actually tweet this out like, how great would it be to have Trump's solutions to that boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal? It's, that, that would be entertaining to me. Like, I missed the, the humor that came along with his... The stuff that was... I mean, that is super significant to that region, obviously, in terms of trade. But to us in North America, it's like, what is going on with this fucking boat that they can't get rid of it? And, you know, Trump would have some sort of crazy solution to it. <laughs> like... Dude, the Suez Canal thing, by the way, wild. I mean, first off, all the tweets were so good. Um, but like, just to, to think that our world still ships goods around via gigantic boats, like, isn't that kind of crazy to think about? How would you propose that they do it? I don't know. I mean, it's just not something. It's not right. something I would ever think about until a giant boat got stuck in the Suez Canal. Uh, I mean, in your lib corner of the internet, do you guys have teleporters? Because that would really come in handy for situations like this. Otherwise, you probably have to, you probably have to use boats. Yeah, boats, boats, and railroads and everything are still uh, critical parts of the infrastructure of the world, and these are you know three hundred year old inventions. You can't just put everything on a FedEx plane. It's, some stuff is just too big. Like, how are you going to get cars? Yeah, some around? stuff is too big. Yeah. Do you guys have high-speed rail in Canada? No, we don't. There was talk about putting one in from, I think, Hamilton to Ottawa, or even Toronto to Montreal, which would be awesome, by the way. But it just feels like there's no money for infrastructure. Like, there's no money at all anymore. Uh, I, I was talking to my friends with what I said would be the most unpopular idea of all time on like the internet, but like half the population would really love it. That if they just said, Hey, here's the new vaccine rollout. You have to pay $2,000 to get a vaccine or you can bid on the vaccine and that's how you can get it. So all the rich people would get it first, but all of the money that is bid on the vaccines goes to pay for like the, we call it the CERB up here is what you get if you're not currently working. Um, so like the stimulus package, stuff like that. So that's the way to pay for it. Charge all the rich people to get all the vaccines first, but you have to roll all that money back into the people for their stimulus package. And that way you can kind of break even on everything. But people would not go for that, which I understand. I, I don't know. It sounds kind of interesting to me. I, At I, least it's I, a way the to reason, pay for it. <laughs> right. So the reason why I ask about the high-speed rail is just thinking about my life specifically. 
God damn, it would be so convenient, right? To be able to get on uh, a very fast train in between St. Louis and Kansas City or St. Louis and Chicago. And this is how people travel in Europe, right? But it's just like, I mean, I don't have a sense of why people in the Western world don't like it or why we, we think it's stupid. Like, like high-speed rail stuff gets like actively mocked when anyone in the government uh, proposes it. Like, I, I, I don't remember if it was um, Mayor Pete or if it was someone else in the Department of Transportation who was talking about adding high-speed rails as part of this infrastructure bill that Biden is doing. But I just like, I, I would be happy to pay my taxes if it was going towards something like that. I guess so. I think it's because I, I don't think that there's opposition to it up here. Uh, I think actually one of the Canadian companies, com- uh, companies Bombardier, uh, who does a lot of like the trains, uh, does the streetcars in Toronto, the buses, uh, they you know, build airplanes, they build trains, they build everything. Uh, I think that they're actually one of the ones that actually provides a lot of the, the stuff for high-speed rail. So I don't think that we're against it up here. It just... I, there would only be so many spots and Canada's so big that like Toronto to Montreal is really the only one that makes sense. Like what, what's going to go Vancouver to Calgary. Like that's so far away. <laughs> like I was, I was, yeah, talking, I mean, I, was, I, so I, well, I, I think in Canada it's different because your guys' cities are so far away. Yeah. Like the two closest major cities would be Montreal and Toronto. It's a four and a half hour drive if you're speeding, but Ottawa is in between yeah. them. That's why Ottawa is the capital because it's in between Toronto and Montreal. That's how it ended up getting picked. But like, I was talking to a friend who's he's from abroad. He's lived in Toronto for the past like six, seven years. Now he's moving, actually. Uh, he's moving, too. He's moving back to Europe. Uh, and I asked him, I was like, did you ever make it to Vancouver? He's like, no, because Vancouver's a fucking five and a half hour flight from Toronto. Like, it's really far away. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be like me going to Los Angeles, basically. Yes. Which it's like, is uh, it's basically the same from crazy. New York to L.A. is kind of the same thing. We're in the middle of the country. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is, I guess, I guess the, the high speed rail doesn't solve that problem. But I, I don't know. I just know I just know that it's something that really is appealing to me and they do it in Europe. And I wish that that was available here. And that's um, an infrastructure project that, uh, you know, obviously it would create jobs. Obviously, um, it would stimulate the economy as it was intended but it would also allow travel to people who don't do a lot of traveling right it's a lot, it's a lot cheaper to travel by rail than it is to buy a car or whatever or or fly true although it seems like flights have really gone in the tank i just bought some tickets uh, back to nova scotia much cheaper than normal too i was able to get a uh, a business class ticket for the price of a normal ticket i was like this is fantastic let's let's do this we have to strap the kids into their into their car seats on the plane so being away from as many people as possible seemed like the right move for a one-way ticket i do think that the issue is like something like you said between kansas city and st louis like how many people are really making that trip on a daily basis is it a lot i don't know like, is it worth it to have that? Because you can't you can't build it on the premise that, oh, this is going to encourage more people to go back and forth. Like, if people aren't already going back and forth, they probably don't have to. Thus, they probably just won't. Yeah, that's true. I know the reason why the Kansas City-St. Louis one is, um, like, one that has been proposed is because Elon Musk was talking about building uh, the first Hyperloop there because the 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 available land is easier 
because there, you know, there's less city. There's one big, like big ish city in between St. Louis and Kansas city, but it's kind of like an ideal spot for the hyperloop, which is like the high speed rail on crack cocaine. You might as well stick with the high speed rail to start off with before you start getting hyper about the entire thing. It's probably a good test spot, too, if you were going to do it to see if it actually works, because how far away are the two cities? Like, how much ground do you have to cover there? Um, It's like a it's like a four hour drive. So, okay. like, I don't so know. It's, Let's it's see. Kansas lengthy. City, Kansas City to St. Louis miles. Um. 247 miles yeah it's also really hard to procure all the land that goes with it like one of the main reasons i think it was the keystone pipeline the one that was going to go down from canada into the u.s which actually i mean a lot of people were really against it although it seemed like a really good idea uh in terms of especially in like people just don't like the idea of oil so they don't think about it but if you if you're moving the oil anyway let's say and they're moving them through pipes that are 40 years old at this point. It would actually be beneficial to the environment to update all of this stuff uh, and put in more environmental friendly stuff that's not going to break down and spill oil, make it more efficient in terms of power. Uh, but a lot of the big reason that they weren't able to do it is because uh, it had to cross native land and the government wasn't willing to pay the price that the natives were asking to cross their land in this sort of thing. Like the, the government wanted it for free and the natives were like, Go fuck yourself uh you can pay us this much or that's gonna be at least that's my understanding of it uh, of why it couldn't get done so they were just like i oh, know and then i think biden was against it so then it kind of got scrapped to begin with but it didn't seem like people were super against it up here i think like in theory you hear oil pipeline people are just inherently against that if you're a certain type of person but i don't think they really thought about what that would actually mean because it's not like oil stopped production and isn't being shipped this would just be a faster way to do it and a more efficient way to do it thus probably a more environmentally friendly way to do it too wouldn't you think yeah i mean i i just don't know enough right like i don't know enough about um i don't know enough about the particulars that is that raises uh my favorite thing to my my favorite thought exercise these days i did a podcast on this book radical markets with one of the authors glenn whale and they have uh i mean everyone everyone listening to this should read the book it's it's the best book on economics you'll read in your entire life but the idea is that basically everything in the world has a price and if someone is willing to pay the price for for land for your car for your house for whatever if someone meets that price you have to sell it and you are incentivized to price things accurately because of the tax that you will be charged as a result of the valuation of the thing. And that conflict wouldn't exist in that world. I suppose that's true. I was thinking too, that the high speed rail where, cause there was talk about making one of these hyperloops in California, right? Yeah. Where, where yeah, would it San go? San Francisco, like, LA. See, San Francisco to LA would make a lot of sense. I would think that the best place for this would either be like Boston, New York, Philadelphia would be a good one, or like Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, Houston. Like if you link up all of those places, that seems like people would use it. Because you have to do it in a place where a lot of people live or it's just going to be useless. Yeah, well, exactly, right? So... It, probably even the population between St. Louis and Kansas City, that's like, I don't know, four, four and a half million people. If you include like all the metro areas, that's probably not enough. But I mean, even even San Diego to L.A. or whatever, you know, would be uh, 
would be a, a useful place. And, and that would be high speed rail. You know, you wouldn't have to do the Hyperloop or anything. I think it's a very viable form of transportation. People just aren't ready for this stuff, man. At all. Yeah, that's also true. So what are you going to do? Like, you can't force it upon people. Yeah, you can't force it upon people, but I, I, well, I don't know. I mean, these are just, these are just things that I would like. Like I would love for a more European transit system to exist in the States, but you're right that we also just don't have super dense populations, right? That's what's different about America and about Canada. I mean, they, uh, you know, they, our, our populations are so much more spread out. We have so many, you know, little, little towns all across the country that are cut off from the rest of our cities. Honestly, based on your political opinions, the way you live your life and what you want in life, why don't you just move to Europe? Girlfriend would never go for it. Why not? Some people really love their family and some people really, you know, I don't know. It's just and it's just one of those things. And it's, it's a big step to take. If I was single and didn't have a dog you know, or, and it didn't, you know, I, I would do it. I, I mean, I find the European style of living, um, more interesting. What is interesting though, about Europe, they are actually way more, uh, overtly racist than we are here in the States, which is that's sort of, that's always been sort of fascinating to me because right. We think of Europe as, as super lefty, right. But they are, that that's just, just something I've found out kind of over the last couple of years is they are, Europe is a super racist society, especially when you get into like Eastern Europe and stuff. Uh, it's kind of everywhere. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to paint that broad of a stroke because like there was anti-Muslim stuff going on in the Netherlands because uh, so many people yeah. from Turkey, when they like when they were going to join the EU, ended up just immigrating to because you can you can go anywhere you want if you're inside the European Union. I mean, that was one of the big things about Brexit uh, when it came down to it, that you know, these workers were coming in. It's a lot like the the issues that people have with the Mexican border, that people are coming in, taking these jobs. And it was actually I don't know if it was actually impacting people there or not, but it was at least perceived by a certain segment of people to be impacting them. And yeah, they're, they're just out front with it. Like, here we go. Yeah. So yeah, Brexit, Brexit is basically just a racist thing of being like, we don't, we don't want, uh, we, really, we don't want Turkish people in our country because um, Turkish, Turkish refugees are spread all throughout the European Union and people hate them, right? People just hate these, these, uh, these Turkish immigrants, basically. And when Turkey was allowed in the European Union, that meant that Turkish people could go to Germany, they could go to England, they could go to France, and, and people really don't like the Turks. Well, did Turkey actually ever get into the European Union? Um, that could be wrong. May I remember there was a vote. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Uh, an early 2016 refugee deal between Turkey and the European Union was intended to accelerate negotiations. Uh, negotiation, you're... negotiations have stalled. So, may, so it sounds like it sounds like I'm wrong. It sounds like it was something that was on the table and then uh, was never actually allowed through. Well, I think it really depends too on. I, I mean, I don't know enough about Brexit to call it like the most super racist thing. I think that's how a lot of left wing people who wanted to be in the European Union actually phrased it and they could be exactly right on that i don't really know but i do think i mean there's a lot of economic stuff to go along with it too like the the uk was never in the eurozone they continued to keep their own currency this entire time and it's really weird for them because they are 
isolated from the rest of Europe. They are an island. So if they felt like they could make like because I mean, after taking a very rudimentary European Union, European Union in college like 10 years ago. Yeah. There's just a lot of weird regulations, like standardized length of toothbrushes across all of the countries. Like, it's just a lot of bureaucracy that I could see why you wouldn't necessarily want to be a part of that if you were able to sustain yourself anyway. Now, for a lot of these other countries that are in the European Union, you, know, you could have something like Greece try to weigh down everyone in there. But then you have something like Germany in order to be able to prop it up. So it's a free trade that goes through it. But if Britain felt like they were economically better off by not being a part of the European Union, I guess I could see that. But the way it's always been framed to me is the way that you're explaining it to me too. But that's what I'm hearing from the media. But as you know, the media can be kind of crooked depending on what you're looking at. Yeah. And like, and, and a lot of the news that I would get on the European Union stuff would be from the economist, which is a pretty conservative British newspaper so i i'm probably getting these things in uh in slanted terms as well i i to to go back to the og point though i do i like a lot of things about the way the european union runs but i also i also love i also love a lot of things about living in the united states like i i love the the i love the american midwest and i like i don't ever see myself you know moving to either coast wherever it's very cheap to live here um like obviously like I live a pretty I live a pretty comfortable life here which is great I got I have friends here and everything but like certainly I am more politically inclined politically aligned with the average you know citizen of of France or whatever than I would be uh from an average uh midwestern american it's a big thing too like you talk about the the fast rail uh i mean so much business is done from country to country within the European Union that you would need these high-speed rails in order to get around. And stuff is super close. Like, going from you know, like Berlin to Amsterdam on a high-speed rail, it's not going to take you all that long. And if you wanted to fly, it wouldn't be all that long either. I remember I flew from Berlin to Paris on my way to Morocco. Like It was like an hour-and-a-half flight or something like that. Like, everything's super close. But there's also a willingness to go in between countries. People speak these different languages. Like travel, traveling between nations in Europe is commonplace for a lot of people where in Canada, there's people do a lot of traveling to begin with because, you know, people don't necessarily want to, if, if you want to go anywhere, you have to go travel. It does seem like in America, people don't want to go anywhere. They love America. Yeah, that is true. I mean, people, so people in the States, uh, they, uh, they like to travel to like uh, like uh, Latin American places. Like they like to go, you know, on vacations to like Aruba or like beach resorts and stuff. But like a lot, I would say a huge chunk of people in the States are not like, you know what I really want to do? I really want to go uh, backpack through Europe. Like I think that that is uh, a big time thing of the of the past i think that used to be kind of like a rite of passage amongst americans but i don't think that that is um like a super common thing these days i think that was a rite of passage amongst elite americans who would go backpacking yeah, through europe for sure but just yeah just the ability to travel i mean traveling by and large is a pretty elitist thing to do it's only available to so many people uh but it just from my time living in the states Versus my time living in Canada and speaking with people about travel, because, you know, I, I was obviously living in another country, one that I'm not from when I went to the United States. 
that people are just happy to be where they are. They they like America. They don't. Why would I want to go to Japan? That seems crazy. Why would I like the amount of Americans that live within like a hundred miles of the Canadian border that have never been to Canada? Like blows my mind. Because they just have no interest, right? They have no they have no curiosity. It just it just does not matter to them at all. Which again blows my mind. Um, but like I I'm I am uh, a guilty. But- yeah, you've never oh, been this anywhere. as well. You've never. Been yeah, anywhere. I've never been any. I've never been anywhere either. Now, part of that is financial. You know, I, I have financial flexibility and freedom now that I didn't have um, growing up because I grew up with no money. But even uh, even with more financial flexibility and freedom, I still haven't been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go to France for two weeks or I'm going to go to Britain for two weeks or whatever. And I- that, that's on me. We, we had saved up. So I, I always wanted to go to Europe and we had saved up all this money. Uh, we saved for like two years to go on our honeymoon through Europe. So that was the first time that I had been over there. My wife's father is actually from Scotland. So she had been over there like as a kid. But it was nice to go from like Sydney. I'm like, that's the traveling that I want to do. I want to see all these different places. I want to go to capital cities or historic places and like walk around the town, go have lunch, that kind of thing. And that's something that I, I want to do to a whole bunch of places. But it's really strange because of the travel limitations that we have right now. That's made me really kind of want to accelerate that uh once the opportunity can arise once again like i don't want to put it off for three years anymore if i have the means to go do it uh which i don't exactly right now but if i can save up to go do that that is something that i think i would want to spend my money on would be to go to madrid or go to barcelona like i've been to lisbon but i was there for a night you know i'd like to spend like three days there and really check out the city and just you know see all the different cultures and I'm, I'm not just talking about europe like i would love to go to australia i'd love to go to japan i'd love to go to southeast asia i don't know if i'm ever going to be able to hit off all of these things europe seems like a very easy one because it's the closest but like i've done america i'd like to kind of go do europe at some point in my life but with the jobs that we have it's it would be both easy and hard to do because it's not like i couldn't work while i was traveling right it's just i yeah. would want to be working when i was traveling <laughs> Yeah, which I, I, which I'm in a, I'm in a similar position as well. I mean, you know, I could, I could sit there and grind, you know, NFL projections. Uh, I guess on Saturday night, month, I don't even, I, I can't even begin. Time zones are so hard for me, but I, I could get work done over in like, you know, the the UK team or, or the UK time zone or whatever. But it just that that's not what you want to do when you're traveling. Obviously, you, you'd like to, uh, you know, be able to actually have a vacation. Yeah. So I had always had the theory that the best North American sports company in the world would be based out of like Dagestan because they would be on the perfect opposite time to produce content. So let's just say you moved ESPN or not ESPN because ESPN is so large and behemoth that it wouldn't need to do this. But if you're something like Mayo Media Network, let's say, and you want to be first to the scene with information at pressing times, if we just vaulted somewhere that was 12 hours ahead or 12 hours behind in terms of time zones, then you would be able to get all of your content done at like a normal time for you when all the games end. So if a baseball game ends at two o'clock Eastern time, 2 a.m. Eastern time. Well, you can just produce that at 2 p.m. Eastern time, 12 hours ahead. You know what I mean? That you would just have it out right away. And it wouldn't be like people don't like working at 2 a.m., especially like doing content, fresh content and getting it turned around. But you could do it in the afternoon. Hypothetically, I always thought that would be somewhat interesting. It'd be way cheaper to do it over there, too. 
Well, there you go. I think that you, I think that you've just solved it. I think that's where the Mayo Media Network should move in. You'll, you'll knock out your, uh, you'll knock out your travel at the the same time. You'll be able to hop on the high speed. I don't even know where Dagestan is. Uh, I think Dagestan is between like Kyrgyzstan, like northwest of Afghanistan, but below. It's like a former Soviet Union state, I think. Well, there. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Europe. There you go. You have you 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 have your answer. Let's you see. you know you know what you're doing. I believe that is Asia. Yeah, Dagestan, yeah, is, Western Asia, same thing. Yeah, so Dagestan is just northeast of Turkey, right next to Georgia, and right above Azerbaijan. So, like west of Kazakhstan, below Ukraine. There you go. I mean, get the get the wheels in motion, man. What are you doing? What are you waiting on? Yeah, it, it's on that like little ramp in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, for people trying to visualize I, it in their mind. Which I know. I don't know how many. I, I don't know how many people listening to the show are like, oh, I know right where the Caspian Sea is. Is that like an American thing? Because I feel like most Canadians yeah, it's an Amer- it's know a, the sea. It's an American world. thing. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's an American thing to not know where anything is. Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, that you are like, you are correct. We don't I, I we don't, don't know geography. Yeah, I, I feel like that's uh, it's unfair to paint Americans with that brush because everyone does it so often. But is that like actually a thing that you like? Do you not learn about European history and world history in school? I mean, no, we don't learn anything in school. American schools, man, it's it's a joke. Like, honest to God, it is it is a joke. We don't learn anything. Then what do you do there? Is it like is it like babysitting time? Like, what do you do in school? Like what, you what? learn, you learn, you learn uh, a biased, terrible version of American history is what you learn. You learn, we learn about uh, Christopher Columbus and and uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans and um, you know the Civil War, the American Revolution, uh, the War of eighteen twelve, which is like there's this very small inco- inconsequential war. Oh, you mean we, we learned about? Yeah, well, I know all about the War of eighteen twelve. That's when three drunks from Halifax took a boat down to Washington, burned down the White House. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, but yeah, we uh, we, 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 basically... we learned about that up here. But I, I feel like uh, they they teach us that we won that war. Yeah, I mean, we just we just don't like the the American the American education system, especially in public schools, like because it's all it's all filtered through the lens of the state. Right. Um, yeah, but that's no is... different than anywhere. Like, for, so one of the big things that uh, like when I move, if I had stayed in Toronto, it seems like unless you are in like one of the, like the Richie Rich sections of toronto like public school is kind of off the table if you feel like you want your kids to have a really good education maybe that's just something that's beat in from the pride maybe it's just good advertising on their part because i really don't know because i don't have kids that are of school age yet so i haven't really done the research on it but from all the people that like i've met from toronto who work in toronto grew up here they all went to private school all of them uh, and they all came yeah. from, they all either came from means or they earned scholarships to go to these places, whether it be through academics or through sports. And they all end up with like pretty good jobs out of it. So it gives you some sort of bias that like, oh, this is what you have to do if you live in this area. Now, where I'm from, the only kids that got sent to private school were kids with like drug problems at 13. Were the bad kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was where it was like where I grew up. But now I live in St. Louis and all of my uh, girlfriend's friends from like growing up and stuff. And then all the kids who went to like, uh, Mizzou, the, the big college of Missouri, they all went to private school, which is they were, I mean, they're, these are all kids from, from means and stuff too, but private school is super, super common in St. Louis. And I, I think it's like small towns 
private school is not a thing. And then in big cities, private school is like, that's whatever, like, you know, that's what you really want to do. So I don't know, because like, I just remember growing up there, like there, there were better schools than other places, but I think the curriculum was all basically the same. And in my, I, I went to public school and we had the option, like, if I wanted to take calculus, I could, like that was something that was offered by the school. Like if you wanted to do advanced math or advanced English, which I think you guys call like AP courses, like that's not necessarily required to get into college. But if you wanted to get into, say, like engineering, you had to take like pre-calculus and calculus in high school. But that's always offered. Are you saying that in public schools in some parts of the cities and the states like that stuff just isn't even on the table? Well, we had that at my we had that in my school, but I I don't I can I mean obviously I can't speak to everyone's uh, experience in in public school, but I, yeah we had in in the states we call it AP, which I literally don't even know what that stands for. Advanced placement probably is what it stands for. Uh, so we had like you know AP calculus, AP American history, AP world history, or whatever. But really, all that means is you take a big test at the end that that gets you um, like a like an hour of college credit. Oh, yeah, that's a, we. I remember we had to do standardized testing. I think it was when I took like uh, 12th grade physics, there was a standardized test at the end. But I think that was the only one like there was no standardized math test. Like, isn't that how they get I mean, this may be just me reaching from the wire and figuring out how they do it. But don't they like, give funding based on how people perform on these weird tests? That was a big part of George Bush's presidency, the the No Child Left Behind Act, which yeah, basically, if your school did really well on the test, you got more funding. If your school did poorly, you got less funding, which then funneled American education all into, you know, away from problem solving, away from, you know, intricacies to, you know, rote memorization, right? All just memorizing dates and places and formulas and things like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with memorization. I actually think that's a, that's a very underrated skill that a lot of people just don't have. Like, they're not especially like quick draw memorization like can you recall something right away i think there is something to that that that's a skill that you should learn it's very helpful yeah i mean i i don't think that it's a i don't think that it is a non-useful skill it's just i i just think back about all the things i know and how i acquired them and very little of my knowledge that i find useful or even the very basics of like intellectual curiosity i don't feel like i got hardly any of that from my public school. Do you have a lot of things in your life that, especially, I mean, I'm closer to 40 than 30 now, but there are certain adult things that I just don't understand, yet I just roll with. Like, I don't understand how a credit score works at all. Like, I'm going through, like, getting a mortgage right now and, like, just to meet all the qualifications of it. Like, the first time I got a mortgage when we bought our condo, we basically had no money and it was super easy. Now I have more money yeah. and it's far more complicated for me to get a mortgage somehow. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, I understand how a credit score works. A credit score, basically, you get points for having more lines of credit, but not too many lines of credit. Like actually having some debt is good for your credit score because it shows that you can pay off that debt it's it's very I, archaic no sure it's I, a, it's a I, I understand that part of it but like yeah what improves or decreases your credit score on like a day-to-day -day level like if i if i make a minimum payment on a credit card does that affect my credit score positively or negatively versus me paying off my entire credit card or yes you, or that negative that 
negatively impacts your credit score to make a minimum payment as opposed to an entire payment. Are you sure about that? I am pretty certain. I guess I can't say. And this is what, what I've never, I've yeah. never made a minimum. Pay- I've never made a minimum payment on my credit card. Oh man, I, I was the king of minimum payments for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> not yeah, to, I, uh, not a great situation to be in, by the way. <laughs> no. Um, let's let's see if I can let's see if I can find this out. What goes into a credit score? I this feel will like be fascinating for I, people. I feel like it's just very ambiguous. Well, and it's it's done that way on purpose, right? Because this is uh, credit scores are just a, a gatekeeper and a guardian, so that the the haves can continue to have and the have-nots can continue to have not. I guess you just confuse people into, yeah, I guess this is how it works. Uh, let's continue to roll with this. It just seems really strange to me. Here's something I wanted to ask you. So we're entering like, a, I guess, have you guys entered a third wave of COVID? Because that's what we're entering right now. And the, the numbers are going crazy again after a dip after January. Um, but I was thinking about it as a part of my personal life and like how I react to information. And you and I have talked about Bitcoin in the past and talked about even uh, NFTs as recently as you know, the last time that we spoke. But I feel like I am at a second and third wave of information as it comes to this stuff. And the more I've thought about it, that's actually a good place to be for me. Like, I would say you're far more in tune with what's going on when like a new technology or something like this comes out. Like you're just more plugged into that. So you're probably like the second wave of information. There's the people that do it and they're the ones developing it, whatever it might be. And like, you're the first person to know after they know kind of thing. You're a part of that tier. And then like, when you start talking about it and other people I know start talking about it, then it gets passed to me. And I always felt like by the time the information got to me, I was super out of the loop on everything, whether it be Bitcoin or Top Shot or crypto punks, whatever it might be. But then I was talking to other people about it. Like in my day, like my I was talking to my wife about it and I was talking to like my mom about some of this stuff. They're like, we have no fucking idea what you're talking about. I was like, Oh, I'm actually like way ahead of like 98% of people on this. But I feel because of sort of the echo chamber that I'm in, I'm the guy who doesn't know because of Twitter. Yeah. So I feel like I've really missed out and you were telling me to buy all this stuff at some point. I feel like I really missed out. I should have listened to you. Well, I mean, it is, it is definitely not too late to buy Bitcoin. Um, I am like I, I in my personal life, my own investments, the way I am distributing my money, I am I am doing the actions of a bull on Top Shot, but there are people who are, you know, more bullish on NFTs and Top Shots. I mean, actually if I was gonna put all my money in one NFT, it would be CryptoPunks, but they are CryptoPunks are now so expensive that uh, there's not really any way for like a, a, a commoner like me to uh, to get into CryptoPunks. But I mean, yeah, it's it's not too late to buy Bitcoin. There, there's still plenty of time left in human history to buy Bitcoin. Can you buy like fractional pieces of like different NFTs? Because I know that's what this uh, this company sponsored the show a little while ago. We did a whole show on it. It's called the uh, Collectible App, and they have like this high end vintage sports collectible stuff, like physical stuff. But they list them on as an IPO through the sec and you can buy like fractional ownership of like a mickey mantle rookie card kind of thing and basically you treat it as a stock you're never going to yeah own. I'm, I'm on there i'm in on all the fractional stuff like do you like that that's something that you end up doing do you think that's going to translate its way over to top shot and stuff like that 
Yeah, there actually is already a company, and I, I should, I should know this guy's name, um, who is uh, okay uh, at Andy eight o five two. He is right now starting um, a company. You can follow it at Fractional underscore Art. That is, um, they are they are creating a fractional decentralized ownership protocol for CryptoPunks, and I assume it will be other NFTs in the future as well. So that is that is coming. The one problem that I have with it, for me personally, to invest in this kind of thing, like it would just be a long shot investment that maybe I can make some money off of it. Because I have no real attachment to this stuff. And how do you feel about it? Like, to me, I don't understand how some of this stuff can be worth anything. Now, obviously it is mm-hmm. because people are paying for it at the moment. But if it is like a crypto punk or a piece of digital art, like I don't understand the inherent value in any of that to me personally. Like I just don't want to own it because I don't care about it. Now, other people do care about it. That's what makes it worth something. But like, what's your take on it? Like with something like digital art, do you want to own digital art outside of it potentially being valuable? Yes, I, I, there are, um, there, so there is a website called OpenSea.io and uh, Nifty Gateway is the other one. And there have been pieces of digital art that I have tried to buy, right? Cause they, they come out via drops. And I, there was, um, there was like a, an animated, um, kind of a, a digital painting of a rapper I really like. And I tried to buy it. There was only uh, 10 copies of them and I was not able to get them. But then there's some digital art that I'm like, that's really cool. Um, and even regardless of, you know, investment opportunities, I want to, and I, honestly, that's how I am on Top Shot too. Uh, like my collection is mostly players that I just like, mostly like mostly uh, players and moments that I think are really cool. Like guys who play for the Thunder, my favorite team. Like I, I've been buying up a lot of those moments, not really to, I mean, it would be nice to make money on them someday, but I just really like them and I want to own them and have them in my collection. I think they're really cool. Uh, a lot of the NFT art kind of escapes me, but I mean, the CryptoPunks I think are really cool and, and a, a clear... Uh, moment in like digital history sure but what's cool about them they, they seem like a fucking paint from ms paint 1998 stuff like, i don't get it because they were they were the first nft they were they were the first non-fungible token created on the ethereum blockchain which doesn't those words i just said don't mean anything to you but because i am really into and really like crypto and have followed ethereum for its whole existence it's really cool to me so is there something, I mean, obviously the prices of this stuff are skyrocketing. Do you think that there's sort of an elite gap between all of these? One million percent, like, yes. And that's why I find it difficult. And maybe that will make it more valuable over time that there's you know only rich people can afford it. It's like you know, if you walked into the Louvre, all of those paintings are worth $5 million or $50 million or $200 yeah, it's, million. Yeah, it's the exact same. I, I think that, with CryptoPunks and with really high-end digital art NFTs, I think you'll see the exact same thing play out where it's only it's only the people who are already rich who are able to get in. But one of the things that makes those physical pieces of art so valuable, at least in my mind, is that everyone recognizes their value. Like even if you have no money and have yeah. no ability to buy one or don't even care about art, you know the Mona Lisa is worth a lot of money kind of thing. Where... I feel like there's a huge gap 
between people who think that NFTs are worth a lot of money and other people who, I mean, I'm not even talking about me. And people like don't even know they exist for one thing. And if you told them the idea, they'd be like, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> and that's a, the majority of people. And I feel like that might cap how much it's worth unless it just becomes like rich guy trading cards. Well, that's how a majority of people feel now. But I, I like Pat, if you think I'm online, do you know like how online like 10 year olds are now? I and then how I, I, I'm how going, online I'm, I'm gonna go through this with my kids here very soon within like the next half decade to find all of this out but i don't know how online kids are i really don't like don't parents like try to take ipads away from kids and don't give them phones and stuff like that like that's what no I'm, dude that's, that's i mean what, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe some parents who are really tuned in but i just think it's i mean kids i i mean in even before the pandemic you know kids were learning uh at school on laptops and on iPads, but now kids are even more online because so many of them have had their schooling experience online and kids are retreating further and further online. And we are, as every passing day, life becomes more online. Um, your, your online personality, your online space becomes more a part of who you actually are. And as, as we continue to march towards the metaverse, towards web 3.0, these um all all of the ethereum blockchain protocols are meant to interact with that world in a more authentic way which is why i am much more bullish on ethereum than i when we started doing these shows i used to be pretty much bitcoin only um but i i think that the the concept of owning something digitally is just going to be so normal for not even really my generation but the next generation of people and then the generation after that. Do you think that we get to a point where like, is this just infinite at this point with the way that technology is going that of course society will adapt to be this way and will it continue to progress that way and get even more advanced, more advanced, more advanced? Or do you think that there will be backlash against the amount of technology in people's lives at some point? Because you kind of see this with... You know, 18 year olds and 20 year olds, I don't know what sort of majority or minority that make this up, that they're kind of steering away from it a little bit. They don't want to be online as much because it just takes over their entire lives. Like, it's such a fucking performance to be online all the time that some people just want some peace and quiet. There will be, I think, an almost religious movement in the future to like go back to nature to like leave cities and leave the internet and leave technology. I think it will be, um, you know, I, there'll be like a, a great leader who like leaves, leads people out of uh, the cities. I, I really do. I really do think that's in the future of the world, you know, hundred years, 200 years, 300 years, yeah, whatever can, it be. Someone can call themselves. How, how would you say? O A M. How would you pronounce that? Ohm. O A Ohm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Ohm would have a great leap backwards. Is essentially what you're saying. Uh. Yeah. I mean, basically, like, basically, like, I think a huge chunk of people will continue to be more online. More, you know, and we haven't even gotten to really online yet, to where uh everyone has a virtual reality headset in their house. Um, that technology is not even close to perfect yet. It's getting a lot better. Um, for a long time, scientists and and programmers were dealing with a problem where the the motion inside the headsets was making people sick, and they seemed to have like like feel disoriented, and they seemed to have fixed that problem. It was something with like the rate of display 
inside of the headsets. But I, I think that we're heading more and more into a direction to where screens will just be like a natural extension of our body. And of course, some people will rebel against that. People rebel against everything, right? I mean, every generation has their, their beatniks, their hippies, the punks. Uh, in the 80s, it was, I don't even really know, in 90s, it was like grunge and rap music. And, and that was the counterculture. The counterculture will always exist. But the primary culture is, is clearly going in one direction. I, I did enjoy that in the 90s. The, the entire, like, your self-worth was like, yeah, man, you can't sell out. You need to be authentic. And then like 10 years later, from then till now, it's all been about selling out like to sell out as much as possible Correct. this is great <laughs> yeah selling out is the culture now and it's so easy to do and that, i mean that's where i think that it kind of gets tricky because a lot of technology and keeping up with technology is once again something that is contributing largely to the wealth gap uh, all over the world that you're going to have these have countries that have the ability and the population to afford these things and get these things and the parts of the world and parts of people in those countries that don't have the means to afford it will just fall farther and farther behind and it will continue to create this giant gap so i think that at its best, if everything was to go optimally, technology should be able to close that gap. But because of trying to, like, just think about trying to teach technology to students, for one thing, at a very low level so everyone can get on the same page. But you just, we talked about the education system and how they can't get anything right. How are they going to get that right? And by the time they do get it right, it's going to be too far into the future. And I, I don't know what happens with that in between. Like Trump could just be the tip of the iceberg with a lot of this stuff and how the real division in a lot of these places, because it's not just Trump in America. You've seen a lot of a rise of populist leaders who position themselves as far right, but that's only because people who have fallen behind either technology or education-wise or monetarily, they feel left out of the process. They would just want to hang on to anyone who's at least pretending to speak for them because no one is. And I think that's going to be a real problem that we're going to have a reckoning with very, very soon. Yes. Yeah, you are. You are 100% right. So I don't know what happens with that. Do you think enough people will i'm just trying to think of it like is there enough people to say like hey maybe we don't need to go into like the craziest thing around but maybe we do need to scale back on technology a little bit and maybe people's maybe like your generation which is basically the generation after mine i think i'm like seven or eight years older than you so a lot of yeah. myself is online but I missed the like the only thing that really existed to me in high school and even like first year university freshman year, like Facebook just kind of started when I was in college and we didn't have it in high school. We had like ICQ and MSN or AMI, that kind of thing, basically chat services. I was still downloading mm -hmm. stuff off fucking Napster while I was in senior year in high school. So if I was coming up right now from the time that I was in the sixth grade all the way through college and all of my life was online. I feel like eventually it'll flip back to people wanting some of that stuff to be more private. I, I just think that's a natural way for people to exist instead of being like, here's my entire fake online persona. I, I mean, I think that that impulse can exist. And then you ask people to actually log off and a lot of people will not 
Well, you, does that make sense? It does. Well, it's, it's very much the same as the socialism problem within the United States. You have all these lefties, yourself included, Davis. Uh, I don't know if you're like a primary you're not the primary uh, perpetrator of this, but like people can talk about socialist ideas all they want in a taxation system and they're all good for it, but they actually actively do nothing to make this happen. They just want to make as much money as possible. They're all just capitalists and trying to get as much money for themselves right now. So when socialism comes in, they still have all their money and they're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish that the government would enforce the laws that it already has in place to tax the uber wealthy, you know, people worth billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, and sponsor public works and have nationalized healthcare. Like I, I wish all of that existed. Um, but at the same time, you're right. I, I like to live a comfortable lifestyle. I want to, I want to make money. And I, I mean, I do some good with the money that I earn, but obviously I could always do more. I could live a more authentic, uh, and culturally, beneficial lifestyle and choose not to well that's one of the primary reasons that a lot of the stuff that i like the the like left wing i don't want to say liberal because i don't think that left wing and liberal are synonymous i think that liberal is probably more of like a center left type of ideal Uh, yeah liberals are like nancy pelosi leftists are like actually people who believe in leftist ideals yeah like joe biden would be a liberal at least in in my understanding of what liberal is but bernie sanders is not a liberal Elizabeth Warren is not a liberal. They're just left wing. <laughs> yeah, they're leftists. Yeah, they're, which they're, that's important to note that there is a difference. Yeah, I think so, too. And most of the people, like as we've talked about a lot of the time, exist somewhere near the center. Uh, and the polarization people, both on the left and right, are just louder than everyone else because they care more. Uh, and the people in the middle are in the middle because they care less. Right, exactly. But my yeah. point being that you can have these grandiose ideas about, I mean, the rest of the like modern world has like nationalized healthcare, social healthcare. So it's kind of crazy that it doesn't exist in the States, but for whatever reason, people don't seem to be like super on board with it. But ideally everyone seems to like the idea until you ask an individual to pay a little bit more. And they're like, fuck that. And I understand that. I get that. I completely understand being an individual like why do i have to do more is everyone gonna have to pay more like there's so many follow-up questions because so many people just look out for themselves that i think it's gonna be very hard to get any of this stuff through like you said that biden's been like a disaster so far but the reason that he was elected was to not be trump just be out of sight out of mind oh that's, yeah that's good so enough. <laughs> that's a good point when i say he's a disaster I mean, he's a disaster for what I wanted him to do. He is doing what a huge chunk of the people who voted for him to do, yeah, which do is nothing. he is not Donald Trump. Do, do yeah. nothing. Just exactly. stay, stay there, be out of sight, be out of mind. I don't want to have to hear from the president every day about like crazy things. Just do, do whatever it is you have to do. Do as little as possible. Don't fuck anything up and shut your fucking mouth is basically why people voted for him. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah, you're right. It's it's it, well. So that's true. I, th- I do think the Democrats are just going to get absolutely stomped in uh, the midterms in 2022. But I, I, I mean, and I don't know if Biden will get reelected or not. That, that's, uh, that one is more up in the air. Well, I mean, Biden still has to make it through four years, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he's not for, a, which he might not. He's not, a, not a young man. Not a young man, although he does have access to the best, the best health care going. So maybe they can kind of prop him up. But Oh, that seems like I was looking at odds the other day on who like the next Republican nominee was going to be. It's like none of these people. are. It's going to be some person we've never heard of who's just going no, to it's going to be Trump. It's just going to be Trump. It's not going to be Trump or one, or one of his kids. It's not, though. 
What what odds will you give me that it is a Trump? Two to one. You give me plus two hundred that it's a Trump. Yeah, if you want to bet that it's a Trump who is the official Republican Party nominee, not independent running, because they have the means to do so, elected through right. the primaries, being the Republican nominee in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I'd give you I'd give you a plus two hundred if you want to take a Trump is one of those people. Yeah, let's uh, let's put let's put that on the books for for fifty bucks just for just for funsies. All right, yeah, let's do it. I'll owe you a hundred if that ends up being the case. You remember that if uh, we still talk in four years time or three years time, whatever. Oh, we're be. still going to be doing Corona Cast in four years time. Oh God, I, sure. I fucking hope not. That's that, that's the greatest <laughs> thing. Like, one yeah. Of the, one of the greatest things about moving is moving to a place where everything is open and I don't have to worry about this fucking shit anymore. Like it's worth the two weeks of isolation, having to film from home and keeping like the kids at home, my wife at home, like Paul's moving out with me to the East Coast. We're just getting out of Toronto. The downside is that Jeff and I won't be doing shows in person anymore. We'll be doing them all online. But Cust can be in studio now. There you Perfect. We got we got what the people always wanted. Nah, but I don't think that people are going to like that. Tim, by at home lounging on his couch where you can never see him i think there's a certain mystery to that that people like it's it's hard to say the people they'll be tuning in regardless i hope so i I need people to continue to tune in and hit like buttons and subscribe to my newsletter and all that stuff being independent media davis uh tougher than i thought (laughs) i wish you i wish you nothing but the best i hope i hope the mayo media network takes over the world I don't know about that. I think I just want to, the bigger you get, the more like, like compliance issues you have to get into. Like, I just want to make enough money that everyone at the network can make like a good living. Uh, We can eventually retire at some point uh, and not have to work for the rest of our lives, but not get so big that, you know, I have to be paying lawyers every single day and accountants every single day to review every single thing that we do. I just like to be able to post stuff to YouTube. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. All right, man. It was nice. Catching I got up. a bail. Yeah, it was nice catching. It was up. great. Yeah, I always, I pat that the people love these shows. I love talking to you, um, and uh, I hope, I hope the next time we do one of these, I hope that at least one of us has gotten uh, the Bill Gates microchip plugged into our arm. Oh, the satanic microchip. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> I can't wait, man. I can't wait. See you later. It's gonna be great. Later, dude. Yeah, man, experience. Yes. <laughs>